Well, good morning, Redeemer family. What a week we have had. Um, I don't know if you've had to uh, go out like like I did and get some groceries, but uh, those can aisles, huh? How about them? <laughs> um, you know, these are serious times, and we, and uh, as an eldership, we wanted to care for for you, care for the the city at large, and be responsible. And so we're gathering in our homes this morning, and we will next Sunday as well. But um, what a wild! What a wild state of events as you get out there and um, you just see um, what happens globally when uh, we are staring our mortality down in the face. Um, yeah, just for the reaction of folks is uh, not surprising and um, because uh, it's, it's scary if you don't have a hope uh, that your life is in the hands of God and that ultimately this life isn't all there is. It's scary times for sure, but we do... Um, I want to keep everyone safe and uh, we want to be responsible. So I hope you're encouraged this morning as you're with your family. Maybe some of you guys got together with friends and there's a couple of you uh, in your home. And uh, so we're like the we're like the modern day diaspora this morning, gathering around in little homes. And, um, you know, the early church, they didn't, they weren't doing that voluntarily. Sometimes people get um, a little romantic about uh, these tiny little gatherings in homes and they'll say things to you. I've had conversations with people. They'll say, Paul, you know, uh, why don't we um, use technology? You know, why do we have to gather at all? Why don't you just, you know, record sermons and people can listen and you can watch YouTube videos and worship? Well, um, the, the early that, the early church, when they were scattered in little homes, that, that wasn't by choice. That was because they were uh, under the crushing totalitarian threat of Rome. Um, the, the What Jesus uh, gave his life for, what you see the New Testament pattern, what the apostles all gave their lives for, uh, was a community, which of course is consistent all through the whole Bible. God being a God of having a, uh, uh, having a people and wanting to be in the center, in the midst, and always calling His children to gather around uh, Him and worship. And so, uh, so we're doing this this morning because uh, thank God for this great technology we can utilize. And so it's going to work for us. But uh, uh, this is definitely not ideal. The gospel hasn't been preserved for millennia through a handful of preachers. It's been preserved through millennia by um, a committed uh, people, the committed members, the people of God, loving God, re- um, raising their uh, their children to love him. And we can't do that in isolation. We've got to do it in community. I'm going to actually read something uh, to you from uh, 1948 by uh, one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis. And uh, he wrote something in 1948 called On Living in an Atomic Age. And uh, it's because, of course, once the threat of the atomic bomb came out, uh, everybody was understandably worried, and a lot of people are losing their minds. I want you to listen carefully to uh, his wisdom. Though he wrote this in 1948, it's so relevant to us today uh, with the threat of the uh, COVID-19. Here's what he says. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the, ato- of the atom bomb. How are we to live in this atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as we would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when the raiders of Scandinavia might land and and kill you at night, or indeed if you were already living in the age of cancer or in the age of syphilis or an age of paralysis and an age of air raids or an age of railway accidents or motor accidents. In other words, don't let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation Believe me, dear sir or madam, 
You and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atom bomb was invented. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful or premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which death was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we were all going to be destroyed by an atom bomb, then let that bomb, when it comes and finds us, find us doing sensible human things, praying and working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint, and playing a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. It's just an interesting uh, writing that he gave there. And, uh, of course, uh, this is uh, uh, not totally parallel to that, of course, because uh, this is a worldwide uh, pandemic. But yet there's just such a great wisdom there and not allowing it to dominate our minds. So as I was thinking about this morning and the sermon for this morning, I thought I could go two ways. One is I would preach a sermon all about hope and rest in the gospel in the face of this coronavirus and all these kinds of things, which, of course, on the one hand would be totally relevant um, but then on the other hand, uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, our lives don't need to stop, um, even though we're trying to be responsible with this. So I've decided that uh, I'm going to continue with our study in Romans, and we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 14 this morning. And we want to do that because we want to be a thoughtful people. We're not going to be huddled in our homes forever. Uh, we're, we're going to be we're going to gather again and uh, love one another. We want to be a loving, caring church that reaches out to this to this uh, city and is an inviting place. And so as we come to Romans chapter 14, we're again encouraged by the Apostle Paul to be this people of, uh, of great love, puts the gospel on the ground in practical ways. So uh, Romans chapter 14, um, he, he, the, the conversation, conversation shifts towards an actual problem that the Roman church was having. So what Paul does is, um, he takes the gospel, and we've been saying for many weeks now, you know, that first 11 chapters of unpacking doctrine, and he takes that doctrine, and when he gets to chapter 12 and the shift comes, you know, hey, let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds and prove what the acceptable will of God is, and let's get this love on the ground, you get to 14, and what happens in 14 is he's like, look, I know you're having a real problem in your church, and it's a real practical problem, and now we're going to look at how this gospel speaks to that very, very practical problem. And uh, it is a problem of not being very loving. It is a problem of having a culture that was quite judgy, actually. So um, we're going to start uh, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Or sorry, Romans chapter 14, uh, starting in, in verse 1. Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another who's weak in the faith eats only vegetables. And one who eats everything must not treat uh, with contempt the one that does not. And the one that does not eat everything must not judge the one that does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. 
Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever obtain, uh, whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. And for this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to the Lord. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. You know, for a lot of years, um, Susan and I would uh, do uh, marriage counseling, and we still do that when we've got couples that uh, that are getting married in, in at Redeemer. And uh, we would always ask the question, you know, so tell me a little bit about why you love this person. And we'd ask, the, you know, each one, and they'd kind of share a little bit. And um, every once in a while, uh, and I remember one one particular uh, situation years ago. The, the the young guy was when we asked, you know, why do you love why do you love this young woman? All of his answers were sort of like, well, this is how she makes me feel, or she does this thing and it's really great. She does these things and I really enjoy it. And and <laughs> really think about it, and it was like actually I. I think that what you love is what, you know, how she's making you feel and what you're getting out of this relationship. It was just interesting listening to the answer because it's just so telling of uh, the disposition of our hearts when it comes to love. And uh, what this text gives us and what Paul's getting at here is that love is not about ultimately, you know, how, how does the congregation make me feel? How does this church make me feel? What am I getting out of this relationship? How um, you know, when I when I leave out on the Sunday morning, what is it? Is it a five out of ten? Is it a six out of ten? Is it a four out of ten? What how, what are we doing here? The goal of Christianity is um, the goal is not to be you know more loving. Um, I think the cultural conversation would be like, yeah, that's what being a Christian is about. You're supposed to have the right motivations and be more loving. It's not because that's still about you, right? I want to be a loving person. I want to have the right motivations. I I I. It's still about you. Love at the core. Um, you know, as Jesus said, it's like, you know, you give somebody a cup of water, that's love, right? Give them a cup of water in my name, because that's act, that cup of water is about them, right? So as we look at this text for uh, chapter 14, we're going to look at how unity can be enjoyed in the church community. And like I said, um, we're not going to be huddled in our homes forever. We will see each other again. And so what is unity going to look like for us um, as a church community? So I want to look at th- uh, three things this morning. Can you believe it? Three? Uh, three things from this text. The first one is we need to differentiate between God's precepts and our preferences. And that's one of the reasons the church uh, in Rome was so judgy. And you look at through that text, keep, if you break it down line by line, you're going to see that's a big thing Paul's going after. Is there's a lot of things that are your preference, but you're relating to it like it's God's precept. And then you are judging each other on this. And so it's creating this real culture of uh, comparison. The second thing we're going to look at is that liberty needs to be exercised thoughtfully, not a license to sin, which of course is immaturity. 
And uh, he gets at that with the strong and the weak language. And we're going to unpack that in a minute about Christian liberty. And like, you know, that's something that we uh, can celebrate. We need to exercise it thoughtfully and not with immaturity. And then the third thing we're going to look at that I think Paul gives us here is that practical care for one another actually ends up becoming a priority. This is, of course, is the outflow um, of the gospel. So let's look at this first thing about differentiating between God's uh, precepts and our preferences. In verse four, it says, you know, don't judge. You're not the judge. And this is not, he's not saying, you know, don't give thoughtful assessment about congruence with God's precepts. It's not about that at all. This is actually about um, condemning. Um, and in fact, the the word judge, the way it's being used here, um, the essence of it is that they're, they're, they're not being thoughtful and critiquing someone's you know, walking out of their faith. That's not what it is. They're actually denouncing their faith. You've got a convergence of cultures. You've got the Jews and the Greco-Romans in the church. And of course, this is a big problem now because the Jews are trying to be faithful to worship God in one way and the and the Romans are, and the Greeks are worshiping him in another way. And it's just creating this huge problem. And, and and specifically, it's about, you know, diet and it's about uh, the things that are that are uh, listed here. The Lord's Day, the Jews want to worship on the Sabbath, on the Saturday. The, the Greeks and the Romans are like, you know, we're worshiping on the Sunday. And Paul's like, guys, you, <laughs> you know, love each other. There's There's things that are precepts that God's word is either specifically prohibiting or it's specifically uh, prescribing. But then when you get, as soon as you get outside that, uh, if the word of God isn't speaking about it specifically, um, or you're free from it in the case of the diet and, and the Lord's day here, then there's, there's gotta be a unity there. So we might run into that today. You might find someone in the church who's like, well, I read, I read the book of Genesis and I think that, you know, we should all be vegetarians, uh, because Adam and Eve are supposed to be veg, so we should be vegetarians or whatever. And you, okay, well, that, if that's your conviction, then that's wonderful and enjoy that. But you don't need to impose that on everybody else. And if somebody's, you know, I'm just following along with this text with the diet thing. But you know, uh, if somebody was to make that argument, we got to be loving and gracious toward each other. And the point is not to be like I have to like convert you, uh, because if you're doing it out of a genuine love uh, for God, um, then wonderful. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's what it is. Or the drinking thing is a big one in church too, of course, right? Some folks are like, that's fine. Let's go have a beer and we're good with that. And then other Christians, perhaps you're like me, you were raised in a context where they're like, what you drink, hold my grape juice. I gotta, we could have a talk about this. Um, and Paul's like, listen, relax. Um, the point is that, you, you know, the point is of course that you're not, you're in congruence with God's word. You're not given to drunkenness, obviously, this kind of a thing. So the whole the whole reason this is, is uh, important is because when uh, we tend to talk about our preferences like they're precepts, we have this we have this tone, and we're either explicit about it or people implicitly catch it. And the tone is, oh my goodness, you do that? Well, no Christian should ever do that or enjoy that or it's beyond I don't know how any Christian could possibly and soon we kind of strike those tones about things that are really not precepts of God it creates a disunity and so in Rome and in Redeemer um, we don't want to create that kind of a culture where it is very judgy and uh, verses 9 through 13 it's very clear that Jesus is Lord of the conscience we're called to live uh, congruent with God's word uh, with a clear conscience, and we're not supposed to anoint ourselves to be one another's conscience. 
The problem in Rome is you got weak Christians being judgmental towards the strong Christians. They're saying you need to add more do's and don'ts to your life, and that'd be really great. And then the strong Christians are offending, you know, and they're being unloving towards the weak Christians because they're flaunting their freedom in their face. And uh, so they're doing things that were very, very difficult for the weak to accept. So it was just a huge problem. And so we want to differentiate between God's precepts and our principles. Here's, our, I'm sorry, God's precepts and our preferences. Um, here's the second thing. Uh, Liberty is to be exercised thoughtfully, not as a license to sin, which of course is, is immaturity. So let's look at this liberty. Notice Paul's language, right? He's talking about the weak and the strong. So what are they? Exactly. Who are the weak and who are the strong? Well, the weak, if you break the text down, you did a little bit of historical research. The weak are those who think you got to do this and God is pleased. The weak don't understand justification. The weak don't understand Christ alone. So the weak are the ones who are actually saying, I have to do these things in order for God to be pleased with me. The Apostle Paul calls them weak. That's what was going on in the church. And then the strong are those who understand, no, I'm. This, he calls them strong because they're, they're, they know they're saved because of what Christ has done and not because of what they're doing. Now, it, think about how different that is from the, the modern religious mind, right? The religious mind thinks, well, it, the, a weak person has a very few restrictions on their life and then strong religious people have tons of restrictions. You know, the more restrictions, the better. Um, when in reality, according to this text, and again, you do your, your historical research on who the weak and the strong are, and you realize the strong don't have lots of restrictions. The strong have the right restrictions. So if, if, you, think that, if you think that Christian liberty is having no restrictions, you still don't understand the gospel because we have been saved to our own autonomy, right? That's Galatians 5. For freedom you set us free, but not that we go back into the uh, slavery to our yoke of bondage. So we got to have the right restrictions. Think about it like music, where music is all about restrictions. And I've used this analogy many times before, right? You, a, a gifted musician seems like they can do anything they want, but they're not really doing anything they want. They're locked into all sorts of stuff, the circle of fifths, temple. Um, th- th- there's, there's a lot of restrictions, but they're the right restrictions, which of course unleashes incredible freedom. I don't know if you've seen La La Land, a great movie, so much fun. I don't know how... Uh, <laughs> I imagine there's a lot of jazz players who are like, why is a white man Ryan Gosling saving jazz? This is so weird. But anyways, that aside, it is a fanta- it's so much fun. It's a fantastic movie. But um, in you know, jazz musician, it just seems like they're doing anything they want because it's just so fluid and powerful and emotional. Um, but it is, they're, they're following the right restrictions. So uh, you know, the question really then for, for, the, for us... Uh, today is what is our our concept of god um does god wake up pleased with me or does he wake up with his arms crossed displeased waiting for me to please him you know do i need to do things in order to please him no he's pleased because of christ and so now i'm living for my father's smile i'm wanting to of course walk in obedience and love him uh, but of course it, none of none of that stuff is earning anything and so i don't need to be weak in my understanding you know the apostle's language look at it he doesn't say they're not saved he says that they're weak, right? It's like you you not understand the goodness of, of the gospel. There's a weakness there. And so, um, but having said that, even though uh, there were those folks that thought, well, if I eat right, drink right, do right, worship right, 
spiritual discipline, right? God's going to be happy with me. Paul says that's weak. He also critiques the strong because in verse 13, he starts critiquing them. He says, look, you're pretty judgy about your freedom. There's like this arrogance about your freedom. You're rubbing it in the face of those who are struggling. So you're being unloving and you're causing them to stumble. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, many of us who've, um, who are at Redeemer uh, come from various contexts with folks who perhaps might be in uh, strong and rigid um, uh, contexts where uh, they have a high commitment to tradition. And perhaps we may look at that and say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't actually prescribe that. That's tradition and you've done that for years and you worship that way for years and so what we need to do um if we were to not in an arrogant way but if we were to honestly look and say you know i understand justification so i would consider myself a strong uh believer who doesn't think i need to do uh certain things um a certain way in order for god to be happy with me we ought to look at those um uh, folks with love and grace and humility not an arrogance uh not we don't ever want to be the kind of um community where we're like hey you know uh, come to Redeemer because we got it right. We're we're banging on all cylinders and you know, we're all strong believers and you know we figured it we figured it out. Nobody's no 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 no. There's no grace graduates. I'm not a grace graduate. You're not a grace graduate. And uh, all of us want to live to God's glory. And of course, being a strong Christian does not mean that you're devoid of spiritual discipline, prayer, and worship, and and scripture reading, and raising our kids the right way, you know, according to God's word. All those things are true and right and good. But whenever we come face to face with someone who seems to be a little more ritualistic or traditional than we are, then sometimes we would just want to go, that's legalism. Um, and it just quite simply is not, right? If for that person, they're being genuine to the Lord in their worship. And so this text gives us the tone. Be like, okay, well, we could probably have a thoughtful conversation about it, but I don't need to be arrogant with you in that in that regard. So this is the problem that was happening in the church. There's all this broad brushing of each other, right? You're a legalist. You're lawless. You know, the, the, the judgment going on, it was that they were denouncing each other's faith. It's like, well, you're not a Christian. And uh, if you're doing these things, and it's just terrible. So, you know, if we forget that we're only here uh, by grace, then the problem that they were having there in the church in Rome, we're going to have in Redeemer too. Um, you know, you think about how it could play out in in uh, in it's play out today what you don't uh you know you don't drink you don't have netflix you don't you do you read the bible twice a day once in the morning and once at night that's legalism well my goodness not necessarily not necessarily legalism whatsoever if you think that nuking your netflix account and never going to the movies and never drinking alcohol and reading the bible twice a day is saving you well or earning something that's legalism but if you've chosen that for a variety of reasons to walk out your christian faith in that way that may just quite simply be your preference it's not legalism at all and the flip side is true too right what you drink you play <laughs> you 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 play cards you i can't believe you go there you hang out here you read books with wizards that better be Tolkien because he, you know, only, he, those are Christian wizards. You can't read what or you read leadership books. Those are secular, you know, humanists writing about leadership. You can't let that stuff in your what? Hold on. Relax. Calm down. You know, do you even gospel? Um, that's not lawlessness necessarily. Any of those things whatsoever. Um you know, if, if if our liberty to enjoy all things in Christ, if it becomes a license, you know, to dethrone Christ, 
or not prioritize, prioritize Christ. That's the problem. So the apostle, what he's doing here, he's putting the doctrines of God's grace, those first 11 chapters, he's putting them on the ground to be walked out in a practical way, a loving way, um, to guide the church through the relational problem of them being judgy with each other. And so may that also um, guide and direct us too, so that we can be a loving uh, church community that's not judgy with each other. What this passage does is it instructs us to have thoughtful discussion without creating division because we're not striking a judgmental or condemning tone about it. The last thing is, of course, this leads to practical care for one another becoming our priority. So again, once we get out of our our uh, two-week quarantine here and we're back together worshiping and seeing one another, um, in every Christian community, including Redeemer, We've got strong and weak believers. How do we live together? Verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Notice how the apostle, he takes uh, like the really specific issue that they're fighting over, right? They're fighting over eating and drinking. So he puts that right in there. Do you see that? Because that's the fight. But they're, what are And he's like, it's not about your eating and drinking. So it's like, think about it. It's like he's saying, you know, God's kingdom, God's way, God's rule, what God is about, what he's doing in the world in 2020, it is so much bigger than what you've chosen to like hang your hat on here. What God is up to in you, what God is up to in everybody else in the Redeemer family, what God is up to in this city, in the world, at this time, at this moment with the you know the coronavirus crisis. You know, think about it. It's like probably you're not going to have so many friends having existential crises as they are right now. You're probably not going to have as many opportunities to share the gospel boldly as you are right now. You're probably it's probably never going to be easier for you to segue into a conversation like, "Oh, P.S. Here's why I'm not freaked out and worried um, about this pandemic, this epidemic. I'm not even worried about death." I'm not being trite about it, but I'm just being honest with you. Here is why I'm not worried. It's probably, you're probably never going to have a more on-the-nose opportunity to be sharing the about the rest and giving a defense for the hope that you have than you do right now. So it's like the apostle, think of it. You just take this text. He's like, it is not about the eating and drinking. It's about the righteousness, the peace, the joy, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Redeemer friends in 2020, that's what God is up to, the righteousness and the peace. That, you know, Christ being our righteousness and us living the, the right way, which is the loving way, right? The fulfillment of the law looks like love for our neighbor, right? That's what he's up to. So we're not talking about, you know, our personal preferences. We're talking about finding great rest in God's God's precepts. And so for the sake of unity, right, um, when we find ourselves talking with another believer who doesn't share our views, the gospel liberates our souls from the compulsion to like lobby and win them over to our view, right? That's the point of this this text. Paul's like, stop the lobbying. Stop trying to convert each other and just love each other uh, with these, these tertiary issues. You look at verse 7, it says, For none of us live for ourselves alone and none of us die for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. He's just trying to like center them, just get them, kind of shake them out of the pettiness of the conversation. A lot of times preachers will read that text at funerals. And, you know, again, right now in this, um, this global pandemic, this crisis that we find ourselves in, it's a pertinent scripture. 
And so the reason why all this is so important as I, as I close uh, our time here this morning is that we, as the people of God, we find out who we really are in a social space, right? This, this, this church, this Roman church, convergence of cultures, two cultures come together and they find out, oh my goodness, they're in that social space and problems arise. We find out who we are in social space. That's why the church can't be you in your home listening to a podcast in your bunny slippers forever because you don't become a loving person that way. You can't become more like Jesus like that. By the way, you don't make yourself more like Jesus. Jesus makes you more like Jesus, but that's what he gave us the church community for. We find out who we are. We find out the work the Spirit needs to do in that social space. The church community is the plan of God. The church community is the gift of God. It's where we learn to love and live into the kind of people who we're going to be for all of eternity. And of course, that's eventual. Of course, we will eventually be perfected, right? Eventually, we will will enjoy being restored to a society of, you know, perfect love. But until then, though, what we're called to is to grow as a community more and more into that society of love in the here and now. So some of you are listening to this maybe and you're like, you know, I love this. I, lo- I love being quarantined. I love it. I don't have to deal with difficult relationships and difficult people. I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> and here, here I just say this as gently as I can, is that you need what you need by the call of Christ is the church community so that more and more God can work out in you that tendency for the self-absorption and the self-quarantine so that we can live into this love, live into what he's uh, called us to because it's not, this call is not a a, a spiritual and ethereal thing. It's a very practical, uh, outworking, uh, uh, outward thing where we're uh, our love looks like uh, living for others' benefit at our own expense. And so um, I just want to encourage you in this great love for one another. I want to encourage you um, just as the text says, as surely, surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will c- confess, um, it will acknowledge God. And it says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And I want to encourage you in the good news of the gospel that, that if it was not for Jesus Christ, giving an account would be very, very bad news. But because of Jesus Christ standing before God to give an account is very, very good news. Because we are clothed in Christ, in in him, God is pleased. And so then we now learn to love one another in the same way that all of you moms who are listening to this, you might have even had to pause it 10 times to care for that little baby that you have. We have so many babies at Redeemer. It is a love of devotion. It is a devotion to duty. And you love that baby and you give yourself for it. And so in that sense, we learn to love our God, and we live with the sense of devotion to duty as we love one another, not because there's any earning in it, but that this is ultimately what um, God has called us to. And so uh, I just want to encourage you as you're um, being uh, with your families this week, um, find great rest in the love of God, find great hope, hope in the love of God, and uh, may the gospel continually uh, keep you, and I look forward to, to seeing you again. I love you all.